If, if you haven't been with us last couple weeks, then uh, I, I, I know I've said this every week, just to encourage you to go to the church website and find the link to the messages. As you can see behind me, uh, if you haven't been here, this probably doesn't make any sense. So uh, we are in a series called The Heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And it's a series that is not only just going through for these couple of weeks, but a series, as mentioned by Jason, that we are going to be implementing. It's our discipleship model. It's, it's our roadmap. Um, we have a very simple purpose statement here at Harvest Hill. We want to love God and we want to love people. The fulfillment of the two great commandments that Jesus said when he was asked, uh, what should I do? And love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything you've got, just put it into the God who loves you and then to love people that God has placed in your life. It's so simple to say love God, love people, and not know exactly how to do that and what that looks like. And so that's why we, uh, God is, has given me this and bringing it to you as the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. This is how we do it, what it's going to look like. It begins where we all had to have begun with this. These little heart rates are supposed to look like M's. As we have to meet Jesus. You cannot love God biblically until you've met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may do all the right stuff. You may do all the the God-looking things. But if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior, you cannot love God the way you're commanded to love God. You you are separated from Him by sin. And God's desire for you and for all people is that we would fall into a love relationship with Him by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of our sins, and His resurrection, and we would meet Jesus that way. We would understand Jesus is the only way to the Father. And all of us at some point in time have met Jesus this way. And someone came into our life, maybe been a parent, grandparent, or a neighbor, or a boyfriend, girlfriend, and introduced us to the love of God, and we met Jesus. And so we talked about that first week, that now that we've met Jesus, it's our goal to take Jesus to where people gather so they can meet Jesus. We're going to dive into that a little bit more this morning. The second thing is, and where a lot of people, after they've met Jesus, that Christianity is not just about salvation. Yes, we're saved from hell. Yes, uh, we're promised eternity, but that's not all biblical Christianity. Christianity is about discipleship. It is about maturing in our relationship with God. It's about getting into the scriptures. It's about hearing God speak to our hearts. It's about doing what God commands us to do. It's about living that out, and we can only do that by maturing. So personally, we have to take time or make time to read our Bible. We have to study our Bible and memorize our Bible and be with other people in Bible study. And I don't care if it's connected to Harvest Hill or not, just as long as it's biblical Bible study that you're getting into and you're allowing to grow in your faith and to work out your faith with fear and truth. This is also we can be on mission. That's the third thing that we talked about last week is even though we serve and are loved by an all powerful God who can do anything and everything. He can break the laws of physics and laws of nature. He does not need you or me to fulfill his purpose and his mission in this world. But what he does is he invites us into this incredible mission to be on mission, to take his love so people can meet Jesus Christ. They can understand God's love and they can mature in their relationship with God. And that brings us to our final thing. It's going to wrap all this up as far as our heartbeat. And we meet Jesus, we mature, we get on mission, all for the purpose that we multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. Multiplication. It's been the heart of God since the very beginning of His Scriptures. And we fit on this verse almost every week during this series. But just to see how Jesus started His mission on earth when He invited people to meet Him, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Jesus began by saying, follow me. 
Follow me was the invitation to these fishermen that you, you come and meet me. You come and get to know me and who I am. And then he says, I will make you. That's the initiation that he's going to mature them in the faith. He's going to make them something that they weren't currently. That's what God wants to do in all of our lives. Once we meet him, he wants to make us into something that we aren't at that particular moment in time, that we become more godly and more Christ-like. And then Jesus said that I'm going to make you fish for people. That means Jesus is going to mature them in the faith. He's going to put them on mission for the purpose of multiplication. Jesus' goal in meeting people is that they would mature and understand who God is, understand the scriptures, that they would join the mission, take on the, the mission that Christ had, that God has, that people would be saved and come to this knowledge of salvation and knowledge of sin, and that they would begin to multiply. If, you're with, if you have your scriptures, make your way to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to see how this plays out in, in what is a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been in church uh, for any period of time in life, it's Matthew chapter 28. It's what is no, sometimes known as the Great Commission. Um, Jesus didn't call it that. Matthew didn't stick that little subtitle in there. Um, that was put in there by missionaries, and we'll get to that here in a moment. The Gospel of Matthew, it's called a gospel because the word gospel means good news. It's good news because it's about Jesus Christ. It's about God's mission through Jesus to make God known, to reveal how God loves people so we in turn can love God and love people the way God does. And so Jesus lives this perfect life. He, he takes these men and these, these followers along with him and begins pouring into their life for three years um, that we, we know of. He's pouring into their life, maturing them to eventually pass on the mantle. Because Jesus was going to die on a cross. He was going to be put in a tomb. He was going to rise again, and eventually he's going to ascend into heaven. And in Matthew chapter 28, we have Jesus uh, is post-resurrection. He is now preparing his disciples to carry on the mantle or take the baton. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it's very odd because Matthew, if you're, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple. It's the Apostle Matthew, also known as Levi. Now, Levi was a tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, he was a Jewish tax collector. And in the eyes of the Jewish people, he would have been a traitor. And yet God uses Matthew, this Jewish tax collector, a former Jewish tax collector, to write a gospel that is directed towards the Jewish people. If you read through the gospel of Matthew, you see that Matthew drives from the Old Testament and the prophecies numerous times because he wants the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And one thing I can tell is just by looking at the name Matthew of the book and understanding who God used to reach his people, the Jewish nation, is that God can use anybody from any background to reach any people. All we have to do is be willing and obedient and submit and say, God, I'm here, I'm ready to go. It's not your track record in the back, background or in the past. It's what are you willing to allow God to do right now in your life? Are you willing to be on mission, even if it gets out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to reach people that other people that, that you were mistreated by? Are you willing to love people that you don't really want to love? Jesus said that's the sure sign that you're one of his followers. You love people that are your enemies, that persecute you. And so Matthew is writing to this group of people because he wants the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is this Messiah they've been waiting for. And he continuously points back to Scripture. And one constant theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew is the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus' ministry begins in chapter 7 and when it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And after Jesus finishes teaching, it says they were astonished being the crowds at his teaching because he was teaching like one had authority. And if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, if you've yet to start picking up a book and reading Scripture on your own, start Matthew. You'll see the authority of Jesus coming out because he has been authorized by God. 
They're, they're, they're amazed at his story and his teachings, amazed at his authority and his miracles, amazed at how he treats people who have been cast out of society. And it all comes down to Jesus is showing people, look, this is how you love God and this is how you love people. It, got, it has to be more than words. It has to be more than a sticker on a church van. It has to be more than something on a website. There has to be action behind this. And as Jesus is getting ready to ascend into the heavens, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, We'll start there. It says the 11 disciples, it's 11, not 12, because Judas is, he's gone. Um, he, they traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, get this, because this just, this just jumped out at me. And I, I don't know why, I don't, I've never seen this before, or it just didn't happen that God showed it. But they worshiped, meaning the 11 are there, they worshiped. But catch the tag there at the end of verse 17. Some doubted. Some doubted. Now, these are the men who walked with Jesus, who saw the miracles, who got to have these intimate conversations with Jesus, who Jesus poured in and, all, and, and he told them, hey, this is what this parable means. This is what this means. This is what you need to watch out for. These are the men who got to spend the very night, last night with Jesus as he was telling them, look, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. But don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to intercede and it's for your benefit that the Spirit comes. These are the men that got to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. They looked him in the eye. They got to hold his hand and sing Kumbaya, right? I mean, these are the men who saw Jesus out of the tomb. They got to touch his side and see the, the, the nails in his wrist. These are the men who ate with the resurrected Jesus. And here, 40 days later, as he's preparing to ascend into the heavens to sit at the right hand of God, that's authority, there were some there that were worshiping. That means they were in awe. They were giving glory to God. But notice that in these 11 men, there were some that doubted. Now, we don't know what they doubted, but it is encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. When it comes to multiplication, we do not have to have it all figured out. You may be confused about parts of Scripture. You may have questions in dealing with your faith. You may have your own doubts. But in the midst of that, we can still multiply. The only thing that keeps us from multiplying is our own fear. And God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These men were seeing Jesus, and they worshiped and they were doubting. Because multiplication doesn't require a church position or a degree you put on your wall. It simply requires obedience. And multiplication is the heart of God. If you go back to Genesis in chapter 1, when God creates everything, He gives this command, be fruitful and multiply all according to their kinds. After the flood and Noah and his family comes out, God again issues the command to Noah and his, and his family, be fruitful and multiply. Here in Matthew 28, what Jesus is doing is He's taking this creation initiative, and what we call the Great Commission, and He's saying that we now are to be fruitful as God's people. We are to multiply according to our kind. And that's what's known as the Great Commission. Again, Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, you really need to listen up. Before I go, this is the Great Commission. Matthew didn't write that in there and say, hey, this is what Jesus would have called the Great Commission. The Great Commission is put in there by missionaries. The word commission means it's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a particular group of people. But one thing we have to understand as God's people is the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It is, in fact, a command. The language there in verse 19 says go. The implication in the Greek means as you are going. 
It means that you are expected to do this, and you should be doing this. And there's no reason that you should not be doing what I'm commanding you to do. So we find here in Matthew chapter 28, beginning there again, and we start in 18, Jesus came near and he said to them, he says, all authority, there's that authority again in Matthew, it's been given to me and in heaven and on earth. And by this authority, Jesus is now going to authorize these men to carry on the mission of God. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We need to understand this because there are a lot of churches that don't get it. Biblical Christianity is about movement. It's about movement. Love is movement. You can say you love something... But unless there's evidence of that by the movement, by our actions, it's not really love. And here, when Jesus commands his disciples that you are to go, and he gives them directions on what they're to be doing, it's because it's about movement. We see in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus Christ, the world erupts in movement. Christianity begins to expand into the known world because God is about movement. He's about multiplication. And this is done in two ways in our life. One is outwardly, one one is inwardly. Evangelism and discipleship. This is how we multiply. When it comes to evangelism, evangelism is teaching, proclaiming, and preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in order to persuade listeners to convert. Last, year we talk, or last week we talked about being on mission and we looked in, in the Corinthians and how we are now ambassadors for Christ. That Christ is appealing through us. That is part of our evangelistic effort. And we are to engage the nation, the culture, the community with the message of Jesus Christ proclaiming Christ. This is what Jesus meant when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. You are to go and you are to teach them everything I have taught you. It's about engaging It's about coming to an understanding that the people that God has placed in our life are either going to heaven or hell. And we carry the gospel, the good news inside of us, that can guarantee their eternal salvation in heaven. But we have to be moving. We have to allow Christ to use us. So what do we talk about? What do we proclaim? Well, this is why we went through this. Begins by proclaiming, when did you meet Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? Maybe you're young, maybe you're old, maybe you're here and you're still seeking. We proclaim when we met Jesus. We proclaim what we've come to learn about that that invitation, that, that gift of salvation. That doesn't mean you need to bring out big words like justification and redemption and atonement and all that. It doesn't require a degree. It just requires you to be able to say, you know, Jesus, I met Jesus. I was a sinner. God saved me through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection. I believe that. I don't understand all of that. But I believe it. I met Jesus, and now I'm continuing to grow, mature in that relationship with God so I can know this God who loves me more. That's what we proclaim. You you don't even have to have a Bible to do that. It's your testimony. It's your witness. You can't argue with someone's witness. It's what they've experienced. So we proclaim, and we go out and we proclaim it to people so they can become discipleship. Bill Hull, 
In his book, Conversion and Discipleship, quote C.S. Lewis, and he writes that the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. See, Jesus has called you and me to meet with him to mature in our relationship with God, and then to be on mission for the kingdom of God for the purpose of multiplication. That's what we're here for. If all we do is play church, we've missed it. And so Jesus authorizes us. David Platt writes that according to Jesus, from beginning to end, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Scripture knows nothing of disciples who aren't making disciples. And it's not about us. Again, it's about Jesus. It's Jesus who's empowering his people. He's directing us and he's guiding us as our good shepherd to do what we need to do and carrying on this mission that God has. What is God's mission? That all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of salvation. That's God's mission. And now God authorizes you. He authorizes me to engage this culture that he has placed us in. You don't live in Stratford or, or around Stratford just, you know, coincidentally. You don't have the job you have just because, you know, you're a cool person, which you might be. But you don't. God has opened those doors. He's placed you in those situations that you would proclaim the kingdom of God and that you would give me the opportunity for people to meet Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why when you were saved, God didn't take you right into eternity, into his glory. That's why you still wrestle with sin. That's why you still have struggles. It's because God wants to use you. He wants to use me to impact this world. What an awesome thing. And we have to remember, but every single time I've been, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's God who invites us to himself. It's God who appeals through us. It's God who calls us to his mission. And it's God who gives us his spirit to do that in order to multiply. First Peter says, or Second Peter says, his divine power, being God's, has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, our identity in Christ is now that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you may what? Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, do not engage in evangelism. To not proclaim the praises of God is to be a selfish Christian is to be selfish. It's to look people in the eye that we're commanded to love and not, not even flinch. Not knowing where they're going. If this was their last day on earth, if they've met Jesus. To not engage in evangelism is selfish Christianity. And I understand, oh, Pastor, I don't know if I'll have the right words to say. They may ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. You know, I've got all these doubts. Look right there in Matthew 28. The 11 disciples came, and some were worshiping, and some were doubting. And yet Jesus still commissioned them, commanded them to take his message to the world. If we would just be willing to get out of the way, yeah, I don't know everything. I may get asked a question I don't know the answer to. You know what you do when that happens? Because I've had those questions. You say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I would love to get together sometime where we can talk about that, and maybe we can figure that out together. You know what you've just gone from? 
You went from evangelism to discipleship. And that's part of multiplication. To be a disciple is to be discipled by someone greater than ourselves. And all of us are disciples of Christ. The the first Christians in Antioch were called Christians, but they were first known as disciples. You see, they were learning from the teachings of Christ. They were learning from these 11 men who took these words of Jesus seriously, that they went and started making disciples. They started baptizing. They started proclaiming Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and they started teaching them everything that they had been taught. You see, to not engage in discipleship is because you may not have been discipled in the first place. And we've got a lot of people who've been Christians for a really long time, not just here, I'm talking in America, that really have not grown up in the faith. They're the same spiritual age as when they first came to Christ, and they've been going to church maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years. See, the command here is that we go and make disciples, and the only way I can make a disciple is in turn, I've been discipled. I've got to have people pouring into my life. And there's several ways to do this. One is right now what's going on. And all across this nation, there's, a pastor, there's pastors pouring into God's people, the Word of God, so that they can grow in understanding, they can begin maturing in their relationship with God. But here's the thing. If this is the only discipleship you've had in your life, you're probably not growing as well as you should be. How many can remember everything that we said uh, when we talked about meet Jesus? Can you remember all the verses and the passages of Scripture we brought up that week? How about, how about, okay, just two weeks ago, mature in our relationship with God. Anybody remember the main passage of Scripture we looked at that week? How about last week? Here's the point, and this isn't a kick you in, in, the, in, the, in the shins or whatever. Here's the point, is that you sit here and, and, and you may be taking notes, you may be reading, you may be taking things in, but we've got to have the opportunity to digest it. We've got to have the opportunity to communicate about it, to conversate with other believers about it. And so if we just sit here every week after week after week and you have a pastor pouring into the Word of God into your life, but you don't take that time to sit down with other believers and to talk about what God is trying to tell you, you're really not just being discipled. You're just a listener. See, a disciple is someone who's continuously living in the teachings and the presence of Jesus. And so they're following those things. And so we've got to have moments where, you know, we sit down with, maybe it's your family at dinner, at lunch, after church. Hey, you know, we talked about this. What, what did you think about that? What do you think God was telling you to do? How do you think you should respond to that? Hey, the pastor mentioned a, pa- a passage of Scripture. Let's go look at that real quick and let's talk about that. You can have a pastor pour into your life, but until you take the initiative and allowing yourself to digest it more and get deeper into it, you're really not going to grow the way God needs you to grow so you can become Christ-like and more godly. Another way to get into discipleship is is one-on-one, which is probably the most common thing to do is that you come along somebody and you pour into their life. You see someone who's maybe younger in the faith. We had seven of them last week. Pick one. And you come alongside and you pour in God's word into their life. It means it's going to take some time. You've got to set time to build these relationships. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that that's who you need to be pouring. If you're a parent, your first disciple is your kids. It's not on the pastor. It's not on the youth pastor or children's minister. God has given you that responsibility to disciple that child. 
It's on you. You find that throughout Scripture. That the parents teach the kids about the things of God. But there's also other people in your life you could be discipling. I've had many come along in my life that discipled me. I still have people pouring in. I, I turn to my dad frequently. My dad has had 40-some years in the ministry, so I call him up two, three times a week and just, and just running things by him and, and seeing what his perspective is on, on those situations. I've had, I have peers that I turn to, people that are my age, but maybe they, they have an outside view of what's going on in my life or going on in the life of the ministry, and they can give me that outside view and give me some biblical encouragement and biblical instruction. There's also disciples I've never met, and maybe you have those in your own life. People you've read, like books. Man, if you want, a, you want some, some growth and spiritual maturity, just pick up anything by C.S. Lewis, except Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> that won't help you much. But C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer. Man, just pick those books up and allow these men who walk with God and allow them to pour into your life. And it's not one-on-one -on -one discipleship, but you're allowing someone who's more mature in the faith, who's, who's gone to deeper levels with God to disciple you. And what's the purpose? It's not so you and I can get more head knowledge. It's not so we can rattle off some cool quotes when we're in conversations. The purpose is that we would mature in our relationship with God. We would join God's mission in multiplication and begin discipling others. You are a disciple of Christ so that you can turn around and disciple somebody else. That's multiplication. It's the heart of God. And the end result is this. So we've met Jesus. We've begun maturing in the faith. We've We've joined the mission, and now we're multiplying for the purpose that when we multiply, someone else can meet Jesus, they can mature in the faith, they can be on mission, and then they can multiply, then they can meet someone who needs to meet Jesus. You see how this goes? It's the constant heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And if we don't do this, then it just flatlines. And you all know what that means when a heart flatlines. This is our roadmap. This is what we want to set our, our, our ministries up for. This is what we want to engage in. This is why we're starting Bible studies on Sunday morning on September 10th. This is why we're going to do Wednesday Night Lives. This is why we do Vacation Bible School. This is why we're going to do Trunk or Treat and Fofty. This is why we're going to do what we're doing. Because we love God and we want to love people. We want to meet them. We want them to be able to meet Jesus. And we want them to join, get in that relationship, begin maturing in that relationship so they can in turn be on mission and they can multiply. In other words, Christianity is about giving ourselves away. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He gave himself away. And so we're just be continuously as harvest till to be giving ourselves away, to be loving people, even when it's hard, even when they drive us nuts. And trust me, when we start doing this, God's going to bring plenty of people that are going to drive you nuts. But to love them and to pray for them so they can understand how much God loves them. This is the plan, people. This is where we're going. But you may be here and you're here because someone invited you or you just had something, hey, we should go to church today and, and I know there's a church down there. I know some people who go to that church and that's why you're here. That's why you think you're here. Here's reality. God has a plan for your life. He's brought you here not by coincidence or by accident. He brought you here so you can meet Him. God loves you. 
He loves you so much. See, God created you and he created me, every individual on this planet, to be in a relationship with him. The problem is we all have sin in our life. We all have those things that we're not proud of. We, We definitely don't want to talk about right off the bat. And if we had a public confession time, that would be the time we'd leave because we don't want to talk about those things. We're ashamed of those things. That's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is missing the glory of God. It's missing God's perfection. And whether level of Christianity or whether level of religion you have, we all have this moral compass inside of us of right and wrong. That's because God's put that in you. And when we do wrong, it's sin. And if that sin problem's not dealt with, we'll be separated from a God who loves us and is for us forever. But because God is for you, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. There was no other plan. God was all in for you. He sent his only son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died as a criminal on a cross. The cross was 100% proficient. It never failed to do what it intended to do. It was a killing machine. And Jesus suffered and died on a cross, and they placed him in a tomb, but he arose. And he arose that we might have forgiveness. And the Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much, it does not say I have to understand it all. Look right here in Matthew 28. These people walked with Jesus for three years, and they still had their doubts. But the Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much, and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Savior and Lord, I will be saved. Maybe that's where you're here right now. You're not here by coincidence. You're here because God wants you to meet him and understand how much he loves you. If you've already begun this relationship, then this is the plan, people. This is where we're going. We're going to be a church of movement, not for the sake of movement, for the sake of people being able to meet Jesus. Because without Jesus, they're lost. If we ever lose that purpose, what are we doing? Maybe you're here. We're going to have a time invitation. And maybe you're here. You just need to start meeting Jesus. I just want you to come down here, find me, and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I believe God loves me. Maybe you're here, and you've been here the last several weeks, and God has been speaking to your heart about how to be on mission so that you can multiply. Or maybe there's someone in your life that, that you need to be discipling more, that you're not discipling. I don't know, but I guarantee you that if we start praying for God to open doors and reveal where we can be on mission so that we can multiply, God will reveal those things if we make it our heart's desire. And my bet is there are people already in your life that God has placed there for you to be doing just this right now. But wherever you are, God is calling us to respond. If you need Jesus in your life, you need forgiveness for your sins, I invite you to come down. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for entrusting us with the mission that people would be saved and come to a knowledge of you. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for what you are doing. Lord, I know you've been working. I know you've been moving because I've seen Satan just coming and trying to attack and and to slow things down. But God, you are greater. You are greater. And the enemy has been defeated. That's why we stand as your people in this place that we are going to accept your challenge. We're going to continue to grow in our relationship with you. We're going to continue to find ways to be on mission for you. We're going to continue to to get out into the world and to proclaim the good news of of Jesus Christ, to proclaim your praises. Father, thank you for entrusting us with this 
you know, many of us have these struggles in our life and things that we think, well, I can't do that because of this. Lord, you say, no, my grace is sufficient. So, Father, as we come this time, this place, I know you've been working. I know you've been moving. Help us to respond appropriately now. For those who are here this morning who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I just ask you to give them the courage to walk down this aisle. Just let it be known they want you in their life. And I thank you, Lord. It's not about our resume or our background or what we can even bring to the table. It's all about you. So let this time of invitation be all about you. Forgive me if I failed you or if I've gotten in your way. I thank you for this day. I pray this in your son's name.